Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Pure Sports Pod. This is Matt Wyrick along with Kevin Haswell and Tom Robertson. Kevin, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. Nice Thursday afternoon. We had some nice weather this week. Yeah, great to get back to the podcast and really talk some sports. We've had a couple busy days uh, since Monday, since our last episode. So excited to jump in. Excited to have Tom on the show. Um, sh- should be a good one. Tom, how about the uh, women's team taking home gold last night? Gotta gotta love it. Shout out to the U.S. women's hockey team uh, securing that gold medal against Canada. It seems like it's always those two teams in the final, and uh, they finally were able to come out on top in an absolutely electric shootout. A lot of just incredible video game style moves going on there, just undressing the goalkeepers. So very entertaining one. Shout out to the U.S. women. Yeah, I mean, for the fact that it came down to a shootout was pretty crazy. Um, just, you know, used to seeing the men's team up there, but obviously with the NHL feud that we talked about a few weeks ago, wasn't happening, but women's able to pull through for the first time in 20 years. Congratulations to them. Uh, big signing this week, uh, in the MLB was JD Martinez signing a five year, $110 million deal. Uh, once again, very front loaded, like the Eric Hosmer contract we talked about in a previous episode, uh, the Red Sox signing him to play, f- um, outfield and, and, DH primarily for them, uh, kind of their response to the Giancarlo trade, uh, Stanton, that the Yankees made earlier this offseason. So, you know, Red Sox fans have been clamoring for this all year, saying, you know, we need a bigger bat. There hasn't been like a premier home run hitter since David Ortiz left. Um, Mookie Betts wasn't able to be the MVP candidate that everybody thought he was going to be uh, last year. So they're hoping for a bounce back year from him. But now that they have J.D. Martinez anchoring the center of the lineup, their offense looks considerably better. Kevin, what is your take on the Red Sox in the AL East? I mean, who is the favorite at this point? Because they're Yankee. Everyone forgets that the Yankees were a wild card team. Red Sox are coming off of an AL East championship. And so really it was the Yankees who had to make up ground, not the other way around. Where do the Red Sox stand in your eyes? You know, I think the Red Sox got a lot better with J.D. Martinez signing. Uh, you know, last year, that's one thing that they really lacked in their lineup was, you know, that true power hitter. Um, I mean, Mookie Betts didn't really... Sp- have the best of years. I mean, he's still had a pretty good year, but, you know, they need that power in the middle of the lineup. So I think J.D. and Martinez is a nice uh, pickup. But, you know, I think the Yankees have done more this offseason uh, to get better. And I, I think it will be a really close race. I, I don't know uh, who ends up winning this division. It's going to be, like I said, really close. But, Matt, what do you think? Do you think, you know, do you think the Red Sox have a chance to challenge the Yankees or vice versa? Do you think it's going to be close? What do you think? For me, I think the big, I mean, obviously both these offenses are pretty deep. Even if the Red Sox, you know, weren't, uh, you know, they were power hungry. They needed, they needed a big bat. They got that. And I still think they had a good offense in terms of, you know, they, they were a bunch of table setters. Uh, they've got some speed on that team. I think they're still going to score a bunch of runs. It's really the pitching staff for me. 
Um, that's the biggest thing. And not the bullpen. Bullpens are both anchored. You know, Craig Kimbrell and Aroldis Chapman are two of the best closers in the game. Chapman obviously not coming off a great year. But still, you know, you got to think he's going to the closer going in, and, and you're not really too worried about him uh, in terms of this season. But for the rotations, uh, the Yankees trending upward, uh, I think, and, and the Red Sox are going the other way. Um, you know, David Price, formal, former uh, perennial Cy Young candidate, but last since he signed with Boston, really hasn't lived up to the hype. Um, battled a lot of injuries last year, only pitched 74 innings, but he hasn't been that true number one. Obviously, Chris Sale has been, and, and he is, you know, the guy, but he also struggled down the stretch, had a few really bad starts, um, and kind of cost him the Cy Young. Eventually, you know, Corey Kluber doing so well in the second half that, uh, he was able to pass him, you know, at the, um, all-star break, everybody was saying, you know, Chris Sale is obviously going to be winning Cy Young. There's no question. Well, with how well Corey Kluber pitched and how poorly Chris Sale pitched, it kind of flipped the script, and Sale was then finished second, uh, which, you know, he's never won a Cy Young. Um, I still think he's a great pitcher, obviously. He's maybe top two left-hander in the game right now. Um, but I, I just can't see, you know, until he pitches really well in the second half and in the playoffs, I'm not going to, you know, hold him to as high esteem as maybe some other pitchers like Kluber, um, although Kluber didn't pitch well in the playoffs either this time around. Um, but it, it, I'm worried. And then Rick Porcello had one good year, then last year totally fell off. Um, he had a 1.4 whip, which is just awful. His FIP was 4.6, right around where his ERA was. So I, I can't see Porcello replicating his his one year. He kind of reminds me of Chase Headley, who had that great year for San Diego, uh, finished top five in MVP voting, was you know held as, oh, he's going to be you know up and coming, the next big thing. I mean, Rick Porcello is only 28 years old. You thought, okay, he has a lot ahead of him. I don't see him being that guy. I think he had a career year um, and really, you know, benefited from some luck going his way. But now that he's kind of fallen off, I don't really see him as a top edge starter. And then Drew Pomeranz, also 28 years old, um, more up and coming, I think, than Porcello is. Um, But he also is in a walk year, so he has some incentive. Um, But I don't see this rotation being as deep as New York's. I mean, New York has Severino, who is a surprise Cy Young candidate, Um, Tanaka, who you know, struggles with injuries, but when he's healthy, is one of the best strikeout artists in the game. Uh, Jordan Montgomery, I'm a huge fan of, very up and coming, only 24 years old. Got CC Sabathia anchoring the end, and um, Sonny Gray, of course, can't forget about him, um, traded from Oakland. So I, I think that the Yankees have a deeper rotation, maybe that the Red Sox have the better top talent. You know, they have the number one guy in Chris Sale, but behind him, I just don't see the rest of the starters stacking up in New York's, and that's where I think down the line, it's going to hurt them. Um, yes, I think J.D. Martinez narrows the gap offensively. They're probably not going to hit as many home runs, but they're probably going to steal more bases and have a higher on base percentage. Uh, so they're going to be you know, around the same offensively. Their bullpens are fairly, fairly cons- um, uh, similar, although you know, you probably say the Yankees have a better setup men. But I think that the starting rotations is really the biggest thing for me, and I just don't see the Red Sox starters hanging around with okay. the Yankees. Qu- question. So you tried to just say the Yankees' rotation is better than you. In the Red Sox. Let's walk through and compare each one. I guarantee the Red Sox have a better rotation. So Louis Severino, Chris Sale. Easy, Chris Sale. Mm-hmm. Masahiro Tanaka or David Price? Uh, Tanaka, what, 474 ERA last year? David Price, uh, less than <laughs> Tanaka that. Tanaka has shown up in the postseason, though. Incredible postseason. Regardless. regardless. Over the whole season, 4.74 year. That was, a, that was just, a, that was an, just one year. All right, that's pitiful. Da- you're very take, down you're going to take David there. Price over that. Regardless, right? Then you go number three, Jordan Montgomery. You're going to take Rick Porcello over Jordan Montgomery. No, uh, I'm not going to. 
What? The guy won a Cy Young. Yeah, and then you talk about ERA. Rick Porcello last year had, of what is it, a 4.65. Okay, I mean, go, and then... Go the year before. Yes, the year obviously before the year before, but you also you talked about David Price. Yeah, you, and David Price <laughs> the year before gave it the most hits in the American League. So, you know... 3.15 with 22 wins. 22 win, wins don't mean anything. Uh, well, a 3.15 in the American League East is pretty pretty damn good. It's good, but I'm saying he had a career year. He got lucky. His BABIP was about 260. League average is 305. Okay. To, to say that, you know, a lot of balls were rolling his way when he won the Cy Young. I mean, it was a fluke season. Okay. He was a good is, pitcher. When is, he was on Detroit, I was a big Montgomery fan. Ever done Jordan Montgomery, season. up and coming. Over a whole season. Very up and coming. Up and coming. But Jordan, he hasn't had pitched a full season. has proved himself. Rick Porcello proved himself one time, then oh. fell off a cliff. Jordan Montgomery hasn't proved anything. He had a good second half last year, and I think oh. that shows that he's going to be coming forward. Rick Porcello is trending in the opposite direction. You can't argue with that. Oh you can't God. argue with that. Drew Pomeranz or CC Sabathia? Drew Pomeranz, no doubt. Well, like, Sonny Gray would be the guy there. And Sonny Gray over Drew, over Drew Pomeranz any day of the week. Okay, and then uh, Eduardo Rodriguez or CC Sabathia, it's, it's Pretty split. Uh, well, CC's got the experience. He's got the experience. Much more proven postseason starter. CC's like a playoff pitcher. Boy, he throws like 88. No, I don't want to hear it. And did you see how well he pitched in the playoffs? Nobody can. You can't touch him in the playoffs. Red Sox in a great rotation. In what way? You haven't backed it up at all. Literally Plus, I would like to say that. All you're citing is wins. Like, I understand. Like, I understand. I just said 3.15. And then when I try to bring up that no one has no track, doesn't have a track record, you're like, oh, bro, it's all the Well, yeah, it was his rookie like, year. That's not numbers. It's his rookie season. year. I don't know. Wins are kind of, you know. Wins are not a number than... you can cite. Wins are so team dependent I'm on, sorry. I'm run, sorry. on run support. When's the last time potential was a number? I, I don't remember. It does, I doesn't have to be a number, but it's a so, good. So how does it verify anything? Because he's a prospect who is highly rated. What, the eye test? Like, I really matters. He's he's a young pitcher that has a lot of potential, and like Matt said, he's going in the right direction. Pomeranz trending the wrong. I mean, sorry, not not Pomeranz. Purcello's trending the wrong way. Exactly. Plus, you said I understand sale. Sale. I, most people would take, including myself, would take Sale over Severino. That's a lot closer of a conversation than I think that you think it is. Severino is an um, had an unbelievable year, and he's only going to get better. Yeah, but Sale's been doing it for like five six. I understand. Yeah, I mean, I, I give Sale the benefit of the I doubt. Give, I give Sale. No, Sale's a top five. You better year last year. I'm saying he's a, he's a top five pitcher in the game. I definitely give Sale the edge over him, but Severino yeah. had 308 strikeouts in 214 innings last year. Like that's unreal. That's unreal. Oh, I'm 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 not I'm not arguing that Severino is the better pitcher. I'm just saying it's it's you can't just say obviously discredit Severino. He's not an ace quality pitcher. He's an ace for most teams in the league, and he's only gonna get better. He's a young, he's so young, and he just has an incredible arm. Um, I think Tanaka's gonna be having a bounce back year. I mean, Definitely. even when you know he's he's been hurt, um, he still has decent strikeout numbers. Um, his FIP has said that, you know, something sometimes hasn't been going his way. Um, I, I like the way he's trending right now. Um, and, and certainly with the way he pitched in the postseason, it really impressed me. I mean, this guy was, you know, you, you see all the hype that Otani's getting right now. That's the same kind of hype that Tanaka had when he came over. Obviously he's not a hitter. Um, but you know, in terms of, of, of strikeout numbers and, um, he also reminds me of you Darvish, another example. I mean, this guy, he's a premier talent while right now, you know, you know, the four seven four ERA stands out as oh that's so bad. 
his whip was was a 1.2, not great, but not horrible. Um, he, he had a decent strikeout per nine at 9.8. I mean, I'm I'm sold on Tanaka. I think that he's going to be having a good year, and I think he's going to be anchoring the top of that rotation. And imagine, I mean, Sonny Gray hasn't been the same guy he was since um, he finished. I think it was top three in Cy Young in 2015. He hasn't really been able to replicate those numbers since. Um, but he's been getting better over the past two years, and I think that you know if he continues to go in that right direction, uh, he could be returning back to ace quality. They could potentially have three aces on that team. I mean, if, if things spin the right way. Yes, you could say that the Red Sox are the same way with David Price and Rick Porcello, but the difference is Sonny Gray and Masahiro Tanaka are turning upward, whereas Porcello and Price have you know been moving the wrong direction, and so they'll have to turn things around. There's more pressure on you to turn things around than to continue replicating the success you've already been having. So yes, Jordan Montgomery saying he has promise doesn't necessarily put a number on anything, but it's to say that he came up, had to adjust to MLB hitters, finished with 3-8 ERA for a rookie pitcher. That's pretty good. Uh, and, and now he's going to make adjustments. Hitters are going to make adjustments. It's anybody's guess as to how he's going to, you know, what he's going to change about his approach and how he's going to improve. But from what we saw in that short sample of when he started last year, it seemed like, you know, he had the stuff. He just kind of had to harness it. And so from what I saw, I'm impressed with him. And I think he's going to be an important part of this rotation in 2018. Man, I, I, at the end of the day, I still think the Red Sox rotation is much better than the Yankees rotation. I mean, we'll see. You know, we'll keep tabs on this throughout the summer, uh, see how it's going. But you know, I, I just think they their talent at the top of the rotation just you know is is so much better than the Yankees. Now, what do you think about the DH spot these days? I mean, it seems like it's just reserved for that player who is old and can't play um, defense anymore. Or, you know, a guy like J.D. Martinez where they, they bring him in to exclusively um, hit because he's not a plus defender. They have the killer bees in the outfield. They're not going to be putting him in the outfield very much. He's probably going to be primarily the D.H. Um, are you pro D.H. or anti? Do you think they should keep the split between the two leagues? Uh, how, do, how do you stand on it? No, I'm not, I'm, like, I'm not ridiculously invested in, in either way. I mean, I think... The way they have it right now is fine. Um, I mean, it would be nice to see, you know, it's a cohesive, you know, whether they have the DH in both leagues or neither leagues. I think, you know, there needs to be, um, you know, some kind of organization here. But at the same time, I think that's what makes baseball unique is these some of these rules, like the DH in each league. So, no, honestly, it doesn't really bother me uh, either way, but, you know, I'm interested to see see what you have to say about this. Uh, I've always grown up watching National League Baseball, and I think that, you know, when um, you have a, no DH, you have to, you know, switch, you do double switches, you do, um, uh, you have to worry about how long you're leaving your pitcher in in case there's a, uh, you know, his spot in the lineup's coming up, what are you, you going to be able to pull him, are you going to keep him in the American League, there's a lot less managerial strategy to it. Because you simply pull the pitcher when he's not performing anymore and put somebody in, or you know it's been long enough, or whatever it is. Um, for me, I, I like the NL side. I like the strategy of it. Uh, people say, you know, oh, you, you're losing offense because of you know pitchers basically an automatic out. While that is true, there's a trend here. The DH is consistently the dumping ground of the basically the one player. Maybe you're saddled with a tough contract, and you know you have to keep him on the team. You don't want him to play defense anymore because he's getting older, so you put him at DH. Um, or he's, you know, assigned to just play that, and he doesn't 
you know, provide any other value on the team in terms of defense. So I think that the, the quality of the DH is going down, whereas on the National League side of things, they're starting to pinch hit more. Starters are not going as long as deep into games as they used to be. And we're seeing more and more pinch hitters and people who are being paid to pinch hit. The Nats are a perfect example. I know I always use them, but Matt Adams, they just signed to be their bonafide pinch hitter. They had Adam Lynn last year, who was one of the best in the game. I mean, this is a something teams are putting a premium on, especially National League teams, getting a pinch hitter, somebody who can, you know, come cold off the bench and still be able to, you know, get a hit single or um, keep the line moving, provides a home run here or there. Um, and I, I think that that makes for just a better game. You know, the, the managers have to work around it. You're going to have more players um, invest it, uh, you know, maybe players that aren't as good will get more looks in the free agent market. Um, and then, of course, you know, National League teams hold a disadvantage for attracting free agent hitters. If you really want to talk about why more runs are scored in the American League, it's because players like J.D. Martinez are going to be favored toward American League team because they know as they get older, even if they were signing to play a defensive position now, they know that in two, three, four years, they're probably going to end up playing DH. And they can be, be comfortable with that. Whereas in the National League, if you're a 32-year-old player signing a five-year deal, you know the team signing you is basically investing in your defense as well. And you might not be able to get as much money, so you'd probably go to the American League so you can command more money. Right. And so that, I think, is a bigger reason to us why there's not as many runs scored in the National League as the American League, more so than the DH spot these days. So you're a fan of the NL system. Correct. I, I have to agree, but... Maybe for a, for a slightly different reason, because as more of an outsider in terms of baseball, just now recently getting into it, I'd say one of the most exciting moments that I've ever seen in regular season baseball was earlier in early last season, I watched Madison Bumgarner hit back-to-back home runs. And that's just incredible. Like when you, when you get to see something like that, the guy, a pitcher that's not it's just like you said, expected to strike out and steps up and hits a home run, and then does it again as next at-bat. It's just unbelievable. That's a very exciting element to the game. And then you talk about a guy like Otani, who is coming into the league as a pitcher that can also hit. I think that makes it very exciting with the possibilities of, of, of what you can do and that kind of value, that extra excitement that it adds to the game. <coughs> and I agree with Kevin as well in that I think it should be cohesive throughout the league. I think it's kind of... I think it's just kind of dumb that they have two distinct rules for each, for, you know, half the teams abide by this rule, half the teams abide by a different rule. So I'd like to see uh, more cohesion in terms of that, but I'm definitely more of a fan of, uh, of no DH and, and letting the pitcher step up to the plate and see what he can do. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I like because of the strategy. I mean, yeah, you'll get stuff like Mad Bum hitting back-to-back homers, um, Bartolo Colon hitting that home run. Incredible. I mean, that was, it, that was amazing. I mean, for the, for MLB to share that video as much as it does, like you got to think that they hit, you know, hashtag pitchers who rake is a very common exactly. thing you see on the best, Twitter. The best was the announcer's call of that home run as he's running the bases. The impossible has happened. Yeah. That's what the I'm saying. Impossible like, has happened. And I think, I don't know. I think that, Bartolo like carried his bat all around the bases. Right. Like, I just think that for so for, for fans of baseball, people that watch the sport all the time, that kind of stuff maybe isn't as appreciated. But for outsiders, if the league is trying to draw in more fans, those exciting moments are are something that you don't want to give up. Yeah, I mean, where where MLB is going is they're they're focusing on these highlight real plays. You know, the home run, uh, the the amazing stop at third base where they throw it from you know on their back or whatever. 
Um, and that's partially why a lot of analysts predict that the DH is going to be uh, integrated into both leagues within five, ten years. It's I happening. I would be surprised if that's the direction. I mean, that, that's kind of where they're going because they want to promote offense. Um, they think that, you know, it's an injury risk for pitchers, uh, it, that it, um, you know, they sh- more often than not, they're striking out or grounding out or whatever. Um, but also, you know, you, you think about it, in terms of offense, that spot, that, that pitcher spot, you also use to move a runner over and bunting. Uh, and you'll get a lot of situations like that. That, that all goes away uh, in terms of strategy. So, yes, you're gonna, probably going to have more highlight reel plays uh, in terms of offense if you integrate the DH into both leagues. Right. But the strategy of the game is lost in so many ways. And for me, that's just as someone who's a – I wouldn't call myself a baseball purist because there are definitely things I think the game should change. But in terms of you know the strategy, that's such an integral part of the sport itself to me. And to take that away – uh, in favor of creating a few more home runs, to me, that just seems almost irresponsible. And I would rather baseball. see those special home runs, like Tolo and, and Bumgarner. I'd rather see those special moments rather than just an oversaturation of home runs. Uh, in my opinion, it just keeps the game a little bit more exciting. And that was one of the things that uh, I wasn't really that big into baseball before this past this uh, past season. Uh, I was one of those guys who was just like, ah, oh, it's, it's so boring. There's not enough excitement happening. When I saw Bumgarner, you know, I obviously knew who he was. I knew he was a pitcher. Pitchers aren't supposed to supposed to be doing stuff like that. I was just like, wow, maybe, you know, like. And Bumgarner's won two silver sluggers. Right. As the best pit- hitting yeah, pitcher. Yeah, he's a good, yeah, he definitely can hit. He, he can he's got some power. I mean, it's it's so funny to see him. I mean, let me look at his, his hitting stats here. Um He's hit, in his career, 17 home runs. And since 2014, he's hit at least three in four straight years. I mean, that's pretty crazy. Exactly. For a pitcher, especially. And you said he's hit how many? At least three in how many straight years? Four straight years. Four straight. Yeah, he hit five home runs in 2015. Five. But he hit two in one game. And I don't know. It's just... That was one of the things that, honestly, that watching that is really one of the things that made started, started to make me a fan of baseball. Just... Because also, like you said, the strategy, that's one of the hugest things. It's just, it's, it may not be the most exciting, like keep your, um, keep your heart rate up and just keep you uh, engaged the whole time. But when you think about the mind games that are going on um, with what the manager has to do in terms of when he's going to pull the pitcher, you have to think about hitting as well. I, I do think that's a great element to keep him in the game. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying where it takes you know, some of the strategy out of the game. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, I think it gives him – uh, you know, an avenue for players that, you know, careers might be over to keep playing. Um, it keeps some of the best power bats in the game, too, as well. So when you take away that DH position, you know, you're really taking away those careers of some of those best hitters. So I, I don't know what you think about that, Matt, but, you know, you know, ending these careers early could be, you know, awful. I mean, David Ortiz couldn't play the field his last, you know, eight to ten years. So at that point, I mean, Red Sox, would they put him in the field? I mean, I don't know. Probably would have put him at first base. Um, that's usually the dumping ground for age veterans right. um, who aren't who are in the National League. Do they ever pinch hit guys like that? Well, I mean, the thing is, you want them if, you, if you're a good enough bat, you want them starting every day. Um, right. So some of them will turn into pinch hitters, uh, bench players. I mean, Chase Outley's a good example. Gotten older, he still plays second base. Uh, doesn't you know, he's on the Dodgers? He's not going to be DHing, but. Uh, he's a primarily a bench guy now, a uh, veteran presence. You know, they, they find ways to, to get these guys on the roster. I don't think that taking away the DH would necessarily maybe maybe shorten a fewer few careers if you have a lot of injury problems. 
you know, that's why Edgar Martinez, um, you know, he, he uh, is was one of the greatest DHs of all time because he had so many injury problems. The Mariners were just like, all right, we're going to put you a DH, let you just focus on hitting, um, take you out of all these problems in the field where you're getting hurt. And, you know, paid dividends for him. He had a hall of, basically Hall of Fame career. Um, so I, I see both sides to it. And, yes, the players certainly could um, benefit from a DH in both leagues. But I think you got to look at the league as a whole. The 30 teams, a lot of money involved here. Um, and, and just the history. And I think the history is so important. Uh, the MLB Hall of Fame is, is one of the most integral parts of the sport, more so than – Probably any other sport. I mean, yes, the Hall of Fame is important in every every league, but I feel like baseball it's so it's discussed so much more. You know, who's a Hall of Famer, who isn't, 100%. Um, and so you know, for that to for you to have the history be such a big part there, I feel like you can't you know pick and choose uh, when you value it and when you don't. So um, we've talked enough baseball, though. Uh, I'm rambling on at this point, so we're going to go ahead and move on to the NBA. Uh, where the San Antonio Spurs are having to play now without star Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Leonard, of course, is dealing with a quad injury and has been cleared to play, but is deciding to not push it um, and sit out until he feels a little bit better. Uh, head coach Greg Popovich was quoted by saying that he doesn't uh, would be surprised if Kawhi returned this season. Kevin, what's your take on, on Leonard deciding not to play despite um, being cleared injury-wise, and, and what is the the Spurs ceiling from here? You know, I, I think for the Spurs to really have a chance to contend that Western Conference, you're going to need to have Kawhi Leonard out on the court. Uh, it's a really interesting situation with his right quad. Uh, you know, he's cleared to play, but there is a huge risk of uh, re-injuring that right quad. So, you know, he's trying to hold out until he gets it up to full strength. I know he's, uh, you know, 100% cleared right now, but uh, he, he wants to get to full strength so, you know, he can really help this Spurs team. Um, when he gets to full, you know, that full strength. So, you know, I think, you I mean we saw it last year. They were up really big on the Warriors in that game one game before he got hurt um, before Zaza Pachulia's uh, dirty play. You know, the the Spurs were really dominating the Warriors. Now, whether to say they're going to win that series or not, um, it's kind of beside the point. But they looked really good against that Warriors team last year with Kawhi out on the floor, and you know, with Kawhi and one of the best coaches in the NBA, Greg Popovich. I mean can't really put too much um, past them. And so, you know, if Kawhi's back for the playoffs fully healthy, I think the Spurs team has a great chance to contend in the Western Conference. But if he's not on that court, they have no shot. And I, I, I want to clarify one thing. So the Spurs are, are asking him to come back and play full minutes right now, and he does not feel he's able the decision, to do that. The decision is up to him. From the Spurs, the Spurs up to him decision. to play full minutes or not? The, or to the play, Spurs to, have cleared to him to play right a full minute. The doctors have, yeah, the Spurs doctors have cleared him to play, but the Spurs, as a front office, told him it's his decision when he wants to come back. But he when he wants, comes back, they want him to play full minutes. I believe so. So they don't want him to come back and play 15, 15 minutes right now. No, which doesn't make sense to me. You want your best player on the court, regardless. There's a lot of rotation problems that come with the NBA. I mean. I mean, into integrating a new player into a lineup. It's not. I mean, it's not a new player. Like when you haven't had he him, he knows like their year, system. He, you he's only played nine year. games this season. Yeah, like you're. They're so used to having him, um, you know, out there playing, or not. Right now, they're used to not having him out on the floor at all. So, you know, they have 
It's not like that's working, though. Away, there's, there's only a certain amount of minutes out there for those five players out on the floor. So you got to take minutes from other people. You have to change roles of different players just to fit him in that offense. But he is the best player on that team on both sides of the ball. It's not even just like he's providing them scoring or he's providing them one specific thing. He does it all for this team in terms of doing everything on offense, scoring, distributing the ball, can rebound the ball, and then on the other side of the ball, he's their best defender. So he makes your team better. And not only that, when you see a guy like Kawhi Leonard on the court uh, after missing so many games, it brings your team morale up as well. It's going to make everybody else around them better as well and lift their spirits a little bit. But even with – I mean, I'm not trying to devalue Kawhi here. I mean, top five player in the NBA uh, for sure. Two-time defensive player of the year. Great all-around talent. But even with him only playing nine games this year, the Spurs still have allowed the fewest points per game in the entire NBA. So it's not like they're necessarily – hurting without him they have lost three in a row and are not really playing well right now um and i do think that you're going to need him to make a deep run but what i think is you know don't while he's cleared i don't think it would be smart for the spurs put any pressure on him to come back now you know you could coast the end of the year probably finish with the four or five seed at this point um and and you know take your chances in the playoffs going against maybe the timberwolves uh or the thunder in the first round which is probably who you're going to end up playing anyway um, you know, maybe you climb up to a two seed, uh, but right now they're nine and a half games behind the Warriors for the number two seed. Uh, the Rockets are a half game up on them, so it's not like you know the Spurs are probably going to be three seed or lower unless well, they go on some incredible run here. And I, I personally think that you know, don't rush him back. Let him you know take his time. You know, Popovich is saying he might not even play this year. That might happen, but I think if you can keep him well rested until you know a week or two before the playoffs, give him some time to get ready, and then. Have them come in for the playoffs. That's all you really need. But you, you, well, yes, you could say, oh, they're still allowing least points in the league. Look at their scoring right now. It's 27th in the league. And who else do they have to provide them consistent scoring? LaMarcus besides Lamar, Besides LaMarcus Aldridge. You can't have one player. that can, They have nobody else. Kyle, in the, Kyle Anderson. They don't have anyone else averaging more than 11 points per game besides LaMarcus Aldridge. Rudy Gay is well, he's actually hurt, so never mind. It, they don't have anyone on offense that they – Sure, you can rely on that team offense a little bit, but at some point, when late in the game, you need to have a go-to Ooh, guy. Rudy Gay's coming about, back, eleven point five points per game. Eleven point five, whoop de doo. I mean, what, like they need somebody, a dynamic scorer that can take the ball. Even though Marcus Aldridge is not necessarily a dynamic player off the dribble in terms of from the perimeter. Well, no, so, he's a post player, but exactly. Well, that's what I'm saying. When it comes down to late in the game, you need somebody to take the ball from the point. And you need to rely on him to be able to make a play, put points on the board, or get the ball in the hands of somebody that can. And that's who Kawhi is for this team. They don't have anybody else that can do that. See, I, I just... And so even if... And that's what I'm saying. You don't need Kawhi Leonard to play the full game. When you get in those late-game situations, that's where you need him. So why not just have him on your roster? Why not let him play a few minutes? And if the game gets down to crunch time where you need a win, put him in and put the ball in his hands, in the, in the, in the hands of your best player. Your most dynamic player. I don't understand it. I mean, yes. I mean, they haven't had a great point guard since Tony Parker was in his prime, um, and, and that has been an issue. I don't think Patty Mills is really you know the guy uh, for him. He he does play twenty five minutes per game, so he gets a lot of a lot of chances. But he, you're right, he's not a good scorer. Um, certainly can pass the ball fairly well, um, but you know only averaging two point six assists per game. Not really what you'd want out of your starting point guard. So personally. I agree with you to an extent that they, you know, the backcourt is lacking. Although, you know, Kawhi is kind of a hybrid player, plays both front and backcourt depending on what role he needs to play. Um, but 
without him, I, I think in terms of the regular season, I don't really think the Spurs are in a lot of trouble. Um, it's the postseason where I really, you know, would think Kawhi would be much more important. I mean, that's when, you know, you need your stars to step up. I mean, we've seen the Rockets flounder in the playoffs because James Harden hasn't been able to carry the load. Without without Kawhi Leonard, the, the Spurs are not a championship contender. I mean, that's that much is obvious. But I think in terms of the regular season, you coast out the rest of the year, you finish with the four or five seed, go into the playoffs with a healthy Kawhi Leonard. That's really the most important thing, not necessarily having a higher seed, but just having Kawhi healthy and ready to go. I mean, I have to disagree with you on the fact that you said Patty Mills isn't a scorer. Uh, he is shooting 38% from three this year, which is considered almost elite level from three. Um, you know, he's averaging 9.4 points over 23.8 minutes. That's pretty good. That's about, you know, over a 36-minute average. Um, that is 14.2 uh, points per game. So if he played starter minutes or plus starter minutes, he would average over, a little over 14 a game. Um, you know, I, I really like the Spurs team, even without Kawhi Leonard. I mean, they're not going to be a contender in the West, but they're definitely, you know, a top-five team in the West. They're better than a lot of those teams. They're going to make the uh, playoffs in the Western Conference. They've also got I the mean, best coach without, in the NBA. Yeah, without Kawhi Leonard, I mean, their offensive rating is still 17th in the NBA. Defensive rating without, you know, their, their best defensive player, without Kawhi Leonard, still second in the NBA. So this team has been, you know, performing uh, a lot better than, you know, people think. And, you know, I don't know why everyone's uh, down on them. I mean, 35 and 24, third in the Western mm -hmm. Conference. They've lost five of their last six, lost three in a row. Ahead. And you say they're a top five team. I think they're fifth at best. I think the Timberwolves and the Thunder. No, I mean, not would beat this team. I mean, it's not according to record. I mean, Kawhi's only played nine games this year, and they're thirty-five and twenty-fourth, third in the Western Conference. Right, I mean, but the start, the, that's better than the Thunder and the Timberwolves. They're starting I mean, to slow it. down. I'm tired of Timberwolves. They've earned it though. They're starting to slow down, and I and I think this Thunder team can only go up from where they are right now. I still am not convinced have, they're by still the Thunder. Gelling. They're starting to figure it out. I'm still not convinced by the Thunder, and I really think they needed to make a move at the deadline, and I think that's going to hurt them. Um, to, you know, they weren't able to narrow the gap. I think there's a big divide between who the Timberwolves are and who the um, Thunder are. I think you know the Thunder. They both got flashy names, and uh, you know Russell Westbrook, obviously a former MVP. But I just don't think that you know the depth on the the Thunder really stands out to me and really puts them at the same level that I would the but, Timberwolves. But I just don't think the Thunder, if, if the Spurs and Thunder are in a seven game series. Without Kawhi right now, I don't think that the Spurs are able to control the pace of the game the way they want to without their best ball handler, without their best playmaker, and I think it turns into a scoring match where the Thunder obviously come out on top because the Except Spurs the don't have anybody to put the ball. They just don't have any dynamic scorers right now. But who down low is going to stop Lamarcus Aldridge? I mean, Stephen Adams is a good center, yes. But, you know, aside from him, they really... a solid defensive center as well. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not disputing that. But I just don't think that with how well the Spurs put on the straps, I mean, in, on all ends of the floor, I don't see... Um, I think it's going to be more of a defensive battle than an offensive one, simply because of the Spurs are so good at controlling the pace of the game. They can slow things down when they need to. And without Kawhi, that's exactly what they need to do. They need to work at their own pace, play out of the post... And I just don't trust Patty Mills to be able to control the pace of the game with all of the dynamic talent. But you're going to have Carmelo Anthony covering Marcus Aldridge. I'm sorry, but that's that's a mismatch in I don't so think many you ways. Put, I, I don't think you put. I think that you 
let LaMarcus Aldridge do what he, he can score from mid-range, even to three-point range, and you let him do damage there, you don't let him get to the basket and work at that post game. And I think they're able to do that. I don't know. I mean, you, you, you can kick it out to Patty Mills, like you said, at, three, at the three-point line. Danny Green's a lethal shooter. I mean, they have they have good shooters on this team. They just don't have somebody who can, you know, when they need to pick up the pace, Kawhi Leonard's the guy. The Thunder yeah. have proven that they – where their ceiling is, where their potential is, is still on offense. They still haven't quite figured out how to gel that talent. But on defense, they're sixth in the league in opponent points per game. So they can play – they can play a defensive game and still stop teams from scoring. And I think that they're only going to get better on the offensive side of the ball. Well, it remains to be seen. I don't see Carmelo Anthony making as big of an impact. I think Westbrook and Paul George have, have kind of maxed out the, what they're doing. I mean, obviously, score both scoring over 22 points per game, player efficiency ratings of 20-plus. I mean, you know, they've obviously figured it out. And same with Steven Adams. But I think the bench is just a huge issue for me. I mean, especially in losing Andre Roberson – Really lethal. I mean, he had started all 39 games he played in, so that's, you know, already pulling from their depth. They have to, you know, move everybody up a slot in the rotation, and I don't think they have the depth to swallow that kind of injury. Um, and, and they really just, they needed to pick up another shooting guard, um, and, and probably somebody in the front court to fill out that rotation, because after Carmelo and Steven Adams, I mean, Patrick Patterson isn't, you know, a great um, player, only averaging 3.5 points per game. Um, only playing 15 minutes, so you know it's hard to fault him. But I mean, if you look at the minutes per game after um, Carmelo and Stephen Adams, the next um, the next highest minutes per game is Patterson at 15.3, and the next front court player is Nick Collison at 5.8, and he's only played nine games this year. So they're clearly just stacking Carmelo and Stephen Adams as much time as they can into the game, and then kind of hoping that their bench players for the short amount of time that they're in. Uh, don't give up the lead too much. And I think that's a recipe for uh, losing in the playoffs. Uh, the, the Wizards have tried it, and that's how they lost the Celtics. They were a bench, was not able to match up um, with them. And I think the same thing's going to happen if a Spurs-Thunder series happens because that's what makes the Spurs so good is they're so deep. They can just, you know, keep the they control the pace of the game, whether it's their starters or their bench on the court. And I, I just have more faith in Greg Popovich leading this team than I do um, in you know Russell Westbrook leading, leading the show in Oklahoma City. Right. I, my only problem is is you're starting to see the Spurs lost five of their last six, and you're just starting to see that they are starting to lose that ability, like you said, to control the pace. Popovich is going to do what he can, but it's Kawhi Leonard that really is it brings it all together for them. And you're right about the depth of Oklahoma City; it's lacking in a big way. But I still think that they've implemented a much better system on defense, even with all those guys that, or at least Carmelo Anthony, who everyone considered to be a liability. They've still been able to do a good job with with, with whoever they have on the floor in terms of team defense. And I think that Oklahoma City's offensive talent is just going to be able to control the game and it turns into a scoring match. And San, San Antonio, it, it's just a glaring liability in terms of their ability to score and have a dynamic score without Kawhi Leonard again near the bottom of the league and scoring. I just, I think that's going to hurt them uh, going into the final stretch of the regular season. I think you guys are just downplaying also. You know, you talked about how Russell Westbrook is kind of leading the charge in Oklahoma City. I think you shouldn't downplay the coaching ability of Billy Donovan. I think he's a great coach. Um, I think, you know, come playoff time, I mean, we've seen it time and time again, he's taken this team into deep into the playoffs. Um, I mean, it's hard to win the Western Conference regardless. 
I, I have a great respect for Billy Donovan. Absolutely. I think this uh I think this Thunder team's got a shot going deep and that's what makes this you know this year's Western Conference uh, playoffs very interesting is you know the amount of teams that can really go far uh, in the playoffs but you know great respect for Billy Donovan and what he's doing in Oklahoma City. Exactly. Nobody thought they would be able when they assembled the team that they did going into the season nobody thought that they were going to be able to be a good defensive team and stop teams from scoring but they've they've proven that they've been able to do it. They're one of the best. All right, well, we've got one final segment we want to hit on before we wrap up the show today, and that would be college basketball. Um, very excited to see the conference tournament coming up in just a few weeks. Um, and there's some major upsets that happened yesterday, uh, namely uh, Texas Tech uh, falling to Oklahoma State 79-71. Texas Tech, of course, ranked number six in the AP poll. Um, their second straight loss uh, for them. They've kind of trending now downward. Um, they, of course, lost to Baylor 59-57 uh, over the weekend and now have a t- tough stretch to close out the year with games against number 8 Kansas, number 21 West Virginia, and then TCU uh, as the final regular season game. So, Kevin, where does Texas Tech stand in the Big 12 for you? I mean, they're a game back behind Kansas. Do you see them being able to come out of this conference tournament um, as the winner uh, of the conference, especially with you know West Virginia knocking on the door um, and Kansas State, a team that doesn't get talked about, uh, with actually the same conference record as WVU, um, right behind them as well. Yeah, you know I really like this Texas Tech team. I think you know throughout the whole season they've been pretty consistent in the Big Twelve. I mean, ten and five, second in Big Twelve play, um, and you know twenty two and six overall. Chris Beard has done a you know, great job as head coach, twenty two and six um, this season overall. Uh, I really like you know their points allowed per game. Their defense has been pretty well, pretty good, eighth in the country. Uh, SRS is tenth in the country. And, you know, uh, defensive rating is fifth in the country. So, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, they've really proven that that's how they're going to win games this year. I mean, they're one game behind Kansas at the top of the conference. Um, I think Kansas is going to end up winning that conference. But I, I really, you know, it'll be interesting come playoff time because I really like what Keenan Evans has done. You know, the 6'3 senior is averaging 17.6 points per game. Um, and then Zaire Smith, I mean, the freshman guard, 6'5 from Texas, Eleven points, four point five rebounds, one point seven assists. I, you know, I like the depth that this team has, and you know how they play up and down defensively. Yeah, I mean, definitely a good defensive team. One um, among the you know best fifth defensive rating, like you mentioned, uh, in the entire college basketball landscape. So there's a, there's a lot of things to like about them. I think that Kansas kind of was struggling early and Texas Tech took advantage and that's kind of how it got propelled all the way up to six in the AP poll. But with these back-to-back losses, it's certainly going to take a drop uh, down the standings in Kansas playing very well as of late. So trending in a different direction. I'm not sure I trust Texas Tech to win the conference, but I think that there'll be a tough out uh, come March Madness. The other game, uh, of course, is Virginia Tech topping Clemson uh, in a surprising victory for the Hokies. Um, after beating UVA uh, just a few weeks ago, the final score was 65-58, with Clemson ranked uh, 15th in the country, uh, falling to 20-7 and and 9-6 and in the ACC. Uh, they now are fourth in the conference standings, tied with Virginia Tech. Um, Virginia, obviously, at the top, with then Duke and UNC following three and 3.5 games back, respectively, uh, in the ACC. So, Virginia... Top of the class, Duke, we talk about all the time, you know, one of the greatest offensive teams in the country. UNC seems to go back and forth, but Clemson and Virginia Tech are kind of two teams that Tech isn't ranked, Clemson is, so Clemson has gotten talked about more. They're a good offensive team. 
Tech started out good offensively, then it's kind of shifted shifted to being more better on defense now. Um, can you rely on them to score when they need it at this point in the season? Um, and and where do you think their ceiling is in the March Madness tournament? You know, I think it's very interesting because I I really like this uh, Virginia Tech team heading into the postseason. I mean, they're going to give a lot of teams trouble um, in the NCAA tournament and in the ACC tournament. Um, but you know, if we we're comparing resumes here. Uh, Clemson, you know, versus RPI top 25 teams this year is two and three. Uh, Virginia Tech is three and three, uh, and is actually three and one, and it's lost four games against top 25 teams, taking down you know Virginia on the road, UNC at home by double digits, um, and then you know last night they were up double digits in the second half on Clemson. Um, some late buckets made it a little closer than it actually was, but you know I, I think this Virginia Tech team can give uh, a lot of teams in the tournament trouble. Uh, right now they're RPI. Right now they're RPI uh, 45 and they're, you know, 93, I guess, strength of schedule. So better than the third of the teams, um, you know, it's not great. But their opponent strength of schedule is 18, so they're playing a lot of tough teams. Um, scoring margins almost 10 points per game. Uh, they're 6-4 and four on the road. I think this is a good team. And, you know, you look at Clemson, um, right now their RPI is 9, which I think is ridiculous. Uh, like I said, 2-3 and three against top 25. They're only 10-7 and seven against top 100 teams. Um, so that's not great either, and they're six and six in the last ten games. Um, so you know, I, I like both of these teams, but if I had to pick a team to go further in the ACC and NCAA tournament, I think it's going to be Virginia Tech. I mean, we saw it last night at home. Um, unfortunately, they're not going to be able to play uh, at home in the playoffs because Virginia Tech, you know, since Buzz Williams took it, taken over, is fifty one and nineteen at home, which is pretty good. So, um, but you know, I, at the end of the day, what I saw, I've been watching, you know, a lot of ACC basketball lately, and. I think Virginia Tech's, you know, definitely the fourth best team in the conference. Yeah, only um, they get blown out by Duke a few games ago by about twenty-two points. But Virginia Tech is looking like a different team than they have in the past. Normally, have they they they've produced a, a, a crop of good, uh, high-quality talent in the past. But this season, they are looking more like almost a Virginia team on offense, where they don't have a guy that's averaging. Uh, you know, 17 points per game or anywhere in that area, but they got five guys averaging double-digit points or more, and they're able to, again, they can play a defensive game, and they can also play a very dispersed offensive game where they can give it, put it in the hands of a lot of different players, and there's no game plan for defending against this team in terms of who you want to try to stop because, I mean, you look at a guy like Justin Robinson, who's averaging nearly six assists a game, almost 14 points, and you might want to try to key on him, but then you got Bibbs and Blackshear Jr. both averaging around 13 points as well, and they can certainly be very dangerous uh, on the offensive side of the ball. So it's looking like a different team, uh, a different Virginia Tech team, not relying on on one player to try to, try to carry this team on the offensive side of the ball, a uh, more spread-out team. And I think that's, in the ACC, that is what's going to bring you the most success. We've seen it with Virginia in terms of playing a team game on offense. Uh, and Duke and UNC both saw from respect, uh, great seasons, but starting to, starting to get figured out a little bit by these teams that have more of a team defense and uh, a team style of play in terms of you can key on a guy uh, and, and start to slow these teams down. So... I think that's going to give teams fits, especially in the ACC tournament. Would not be surprised to see Virginia Tech play spoiler in that tournament and make make a deep run. And 
could surprise a lot of people and be playing for the ACC title. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. They're playing great basketball right now. Yeah, it's it's you know you look at their depth. Um, I think that's a huge thing too. You've been able to, been able to watch. I've been able to watch the last couple of games. So you know they they bring guys off the bench that are consistently um, you know producing and. I think the story of this team, you know, the amount of juniors they have also. I mean, Justin Robinson, Kerry Blackshear, Ahmad Hill, um, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker's a freshman. Chris Clark's only a junior. P.J. Horn's a freshman. I mean, they have a lot of young talent on this team. And I think, you know, Buzz Williams is building, you know, a nice little program down there in Blacksburg um, for seasons to come. And I think, you know, I agree with what you said. I think they can make a deep uh, playoff run this year. But, you know, they've also positioned themselves well um, to make a – deep run for years to come that's right well that's gonna do it for us today thank you all so much for listening to the latest episode of the pure sports pod this is matt wyrick and kevin haswell along with tom robertson signing off don't forget to like and subscribe on itunes follow us on twitter at pure sports net like us on facebook at pure sports network and check out our website at puresportsnetwork.com kevin any final words for the good people as always trust the process and go nats thank you all so much for listening and have a good one Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.